0: Welcome to the Fresh Dose Podcast, I'm Jamie,
1: I'm Valerie,
2: and I'm Haley.
0: Today, we are going to be discussing about euthanasia. We'll delve deeper into what euthanasia is, what types of euthanasia there are, the types of procedures for euthanasia, and lastly, any alternatives someone can look into aside from euthanasia. So what is euthanasia? Euthanasia is defined as the act of intentionally ending someone else's life, to relieve them from pain and suffering. It is usually done by a doctor. People often mistake euthanasia and assisted suicide as being the same thing, but there is a slight difference between the two. Assisted suicide is when someone intentionally assists a patient into committing suicide. This could be through the doctor giving the patient strong sedatives to end their own life, upon the patient's voluntary and competent request. Both euthanasia and assisted suicide is regarded as illegal in most countries including the UK and Hong Kong. It is regarded as manslaughter and murder, and the maximum penalty for euthanasia is life sentence. However, there are a few exceptions where euthanasia is legal, for example, in the Netherlands and Belgium. Moving on to the different types of euthanasia, there are three specific types of euthanasia that can be done. Voluntary, non-voluntary, and involuntary.
2: Let's start with voluntary euthanasia. By definition, voluntary euthanasia is where a person makes a conscious decision to die and asks for help to do so. This topic has been a phenomenon since the late 20th century. Ancient Greeks and Romans did not believe that life needed to be preserved, so acts of euthanasia occurred quite frequently. As time progressed, opposition against euthanasia increased and it was made illegal in most countries. Recently, though, legislative restrictions on euthanasia have loosened. The Netherlands was the first country to legalize euthanasia, followed by Belgium, Luxembourg, and Colombia. Euthanasia is commonly associated with physician-assisted suicide and withholding and withdrawing less sustaining therapy. Euthanasia is a deliberate, direct causation of death by a physician, whereas physician-assisted suicide is self-administered by the patient through prescription of lethal medication by a doctor. According to the Hong Kong Hospital Authority Guidelines, euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide are unethical and illegal. Withdrawal of life-sustaining therapy, on the other hand, is legally and ethically acceptable under two conditions. Firstly, if the patient refuses a life-sustaining treatment while mentally competent and properly informed. And secondly, if the treatment is futile the main drug class used in euthanasia is barbiturates, which slow down the activity of the brain and nervous system. In small doses, it can be used to treat insomnia or seizures. Overdose, however, will slow the brain down until it no longer retains its ability to keep the respiratory system functioning and breathing stops. The two most commonly used medications are secobarbital capsules and pentobarbital liquid, more commonly known as Nembutal which is also used for animal euthanasia. According to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, in regions where euthanasia is legal, there are five conditions often proposed for candidacy for voluntary euthanasia. One, if a person is suffering from a terminal illness. Two, if the patient is unlikely to benefit from a cure for their sickness during the remaining time of their life expectancy. Three, if the patient is either suffering intolerable pain or only has available a life that is unacceptably burdensome as a direct result of their their illness. Four, if if the patient has an enduring, voluntary, and competent wish to die. And five, if the patient is unable to end their life without its assistance. Morally speaking, both sides of the euthanasia debate pose strong points. Those in support of euthanasia strongly believe in the importance of autonomy. Individuals are responsible for their own lives, and dying is a part of that. They also believe that euthanasia is beneficial for patients who, as a result of their illness, live low-quality lives and suffer both psychologically and physically intolerable pain. On the other hand, those against euthanasia believe that requests for euthanasia are often calls for help, and instead of ending their lives, their problems should be properly addressed. Religionists are often also often against euthanasia, because they believe that life is given and taken by God and that it is not humanity's place to interfere. Here is a sample scenario. A patient with end-stage heart failure requests to be euthanized, and her doctors do not believe she has any chance of survival, and that she has at most one year to live. She has no friends or family. She also has a history of depression and suicidal behavior, which may impact her wish to be euthanized. Jamie and Valerie, if you were her doctors, What would you do?
1: So at the core of the issue, I believe that medical professionals should be respecting of the patient's decision. That being said, though, they must make her aware of how irreversible and how grave this decision is. Additionally, I also want to bring to the table that depression and suicidal behavior is very serious and it does not always lead to suicide. I'd also then like to make a public service announcement for anyone that feels they're not doing well mentally and for them to go seek help, whether that be from a friend, a teacher or a doctor.
0: I believe that the doctor should respect the patient's decision to be euthanized because as a doctor, you have to act in the patient's best interest. I would first conduct a capacity test to see if the patient is in the right state of mind to make their own decision before giving her the choice. If she were to not undergo euthanasia, her quality of life would be very poor, and it would be very difficult for her to maintain good physical and mental well-being. Therefore, acting in the patient's best interest, it would be best for her to undergo euthanasia. Involuntary euthanasia, on the other hand, is when euthanasia is done even when consent has not been given by the patient. This would be regarded as murder, as it is against the patient's will. This is an example I found from BBC of when involuntary euthanasia might take place. A soldier had their stomach blown open by a shell burst. He is in great pain and screaming in agony. He begs the army doctor to save his life, but the doctor knows that he will die in 10 minutes no matter what happens. As he has no further pain-killing drugs with him, he decides to spare the soldier's life from further pain and shoots him dead. Valerie and Haley, what are your views on this? Do you think that what the doctor did was right in this situation?
2: I think it is debatable because on one hand, one of the major pillars to medical ethics is autonomy. The soldier verbally wished to live, so ending his life was a violation of his right to self-determination. On the other hand, though, the doctor was sure that the soldier was going to die either way, so it could be argued that he was simply sparing the soldier unnecessary pain. I guess it comes down to how certain the doctor is of the patient's fate, but I personally do not believe that the soldier should have uh, been shot because despite being in a lot of pain, he was determined to stay alive and whether or not it is practical or realistic, it was a choice he made and it was not the doctor's right or place to violate that.
1: After hearing this case, I simply think that the doctor has used his knowledge as leverage over the patient, meaning he was put in a position of power and therefore used that to help the patient make his decision, which is morally incorrect. However, as we know the army doctor here is supposed to save the patient, we know that medical supplies are not necessarily accessible in this case, and so I believe that the doctor did save the soldier from a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering while also helping the soldier die with dignity, but he could have ended it in a much better
3: way. Moving on to our last section, non-voluntary euthanasia, I present to you a case. A 20-year-old patient suffers from stage 4 large cell lung cancer. The cardiothoracic surgeon, Dr. Teddy Altman, has just removed a second mass from her right lung but biopsy tests indicate that the cancer has already spread to her lymph nodes and liver. Unfortunately, due to the disease's advanced progression, palliative treatment remains the only option for the patient, meaning she'll have to live the rest of her life, probably on bed rest, being monitored in the hospital, and on constant medication. Because of complications in the surgery, the patient is also unconscious and the doctors do not believe she'll be able to awake anytime soon. The patient is struggling to even breathe after this intense surgery, and the next step would be intubation. However, her fiancé of five years, Luke, claims that the patient has strongly communicated that she does not want to live with a breathing tube down her throat. Hence, she would choose to die by physician-assisted suicide. However, as the patient's fiancé firstly does not have evidence that the patient has previously said this, secondly, nor does not have the legal rights to make a decision for her as they are not married, the ultimate decision seems to lie in the patient's parents' hands. Opposite to what the fiancé believes the patient wants, the parents, on the other hand, are extremely worried that their beloved daughter is unconscious and all they want to see is her breathe on her own again despite their daughter being currently hooked up to many tubes post-surgery. As parents, they believe that their daughter's life is worth fighting for, no matter the pain. One could argue that the parents are very selfish and want their daughter to go through such pain only so they could say their goodbyes, but legally, they do have the right to make a decision. So, this is a case of non-voluntary euthanasia. Jamie and Haley, what do you think the patient's decision would be? Both these people have very important roles in the patient's lives, but who do you think should be given the right to make this decision and why?
0: The parents have the legal right to make the decision for the intubation. However, their reasons for this are very selfish. The doctors could try and talk to the parents about making the decision in the patient's best interest, but the end choice would be up to the parents as the patient does not have the capacity to make their own decision at the moment.
2: I think that as she has strongly communicated that she does not want to live with a breathing tube down her throat, she has technically made her a choice and just because she is not conscious does not mean that shouldn't be honoured. But on the other hand, it is a very big risk to euthanize her before she has officially and legally stated her wish to, as there is a chance that her desires and perspectives have shifted since then, and I guess it could be possible to keep her alive and living with a breathing tube and just allow her to recommunicate her desire to be euthanized after that. Moving
0: on to the different types of procedures of euthanasia that can be done. Euthanasia can be classified into either active euthanasia or passive euthanasia. Passive euthanasia is when life-sustaining treatments are withheld. This could be withholding artificial life support such as a ventilator or feeding tube. Active euthanasia, on the other hand, is when you are actively ending a patient's life. This involves an action that will deliberately lead to the death of a patient, such as injecting them with a lethal drug that would kill them. Both types of euthanasia are seen as quite controversial, as passive euthanasia is seen as letting a patient die, whereas active euthanasia is seen as killing the patient. Both raise many ethical, moral, and religious issues. An alternative to euthanasia that can be taken into consideration is end-of-life care. End of life care is part of palliative care and it is care for people who are nearing the end of their life. Palliative care as a whole aims to provide holistic care for patients with life-threatening or life-limiting conditions and their families, to ensure their physical, psychological, social, and spiritual needs are met. Though palliative care can also be received by patients of any age at any stage of illness, whether curable, chronic, or life-threatening too. The main purpose of palliative care is to improve the patient's quality of life and overall well-being. End-of-life care is part of palliative care that focuses more on supporting people who are in the last few months or years of their life, so that they are able to die with dignity and peace. End-of-life care can be received at home, care homes, hospices, or hospitals, depending on their needs.
3: That's all. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Tune in next time on our next podcast episode.